This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 282, which is first airing at the very beginning of January 2023. Haven't been able to say that a lot. I suppose it will be getting more of a habit by the time this airs. In this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Anne Bogle, who I know a lot of our listeners are already familiar with. She runs a wonderful website called Modern Mrs. Darcy, which is full of book recommendations along with lifestyle content. She has a great summer reading guide that lots of people can't wait to get their hands on every summer. She also hosts a very popular podcast called What Should I Read Next, which aims to answer that perennial question for people who love to read. What should I read next? So we'll be talking with Anne about mostly how to have a really good book club. I know a lot of people want to get together more with friends. They want to read more. Book clubs seem like a great way to combine them. So if you are thinking of starting a book club this year, or you are in one but would like to take it up a notch, you will definitely want to listen to Anne's advice. So Sarah, you have in fact started book clubs, plural, I believe, right? 
Yeah. Well, I've been in three book clubs. The first one I did not start. So I guess that was kind of like my template or model of what a book club could be. When I moved to Miami Beach, my sister-in-law was nice enough to send me an invite to the book club that she was in. And it was a pretty large book club and fairly structured, like well-run. And I recognized that book clubs are really, really fun. I liked the idea of having assigned reading every once in a while. I liked the excuse to bond with women. I like talking about books and I like not talking about books at a book club. So all of those are really, really fun. And the best part about that book club was it was often very local and I could all, you know, even walk sometimes, which was great. Then I decided somewhere in there to start a parenting book club kind of a spinoff. Now, this was not as large at all. And it was meant for couples because we felt like parenting was not something that, you know, us as women wanted to talk about alone, but with incorporating our partners. And it was fantastic. I think we had about four couples at its peak, maybe five where one didn't come very often, but that was it. Like that's all we were aiming for. We weren't looking to expand. It was almost more of a glorified dinner party club amongst friends where we had a book that we would talk about. It was so much fun. And then I ruined it by, well, COVID ruined it, but I also ruined it by moving away. So Not that I moved that far, but it just became impractical to make this a regular thing. Although truthfully, we go to Miami Beach all the time and I have spoken with our good friends about bringing back the book club. So it may actually resurrect itself in the future, the parenting book club. And then finally, in my new neighborhood after I moved, I really didn't know a lot of people. And one way in which I felt like I could kill two birds with one stone was to create a book club so that I would have a book club to go to and I could meet more people in my neighborhood. So I started that last summer and it has been a little difficult because I'm not sure that my current community has as many readers as my old one did, but it has slowly grown and I've we've kind of expanded outside of the walls of our immediate community where I live to find interested people. And we've met three times Two of those times have been at my house, but we do have a fourth meeting scheduled, not at my house. And every time we've done it, I've had a lot of fun. So I also will say, and I don't know what Anne's going to say, but a book club does not need to be large to be fun. It could be just like three people. doesn't matter. If you like to read and you want an excuse to meet and chat over books with snacks and maybe some wine, then a book club can be a ton of fun. Yeah, actually, Anne refused to tell me what the right number of people was. <laughs> and partly because she said there's people who have successful book clubs, I'm putting club in quote marks, where you're basically buddy reading with a friend. You can also have so many people that you wind up having spinoff groups from kind of the the mothership book club, I guess, because it's so large. So it, it can work in different ways. And I know I've I've not really been part of a regular book club. It's something that I wouldn't mind being part of. I don't know that I'm going to organize one in my immediate local area personal life. But Sarah and I are hosting a Best of Both Worlds book club through our Patreon community. We've been having so much fun over the past year and a half getting together regularly virtually with this community, which keeps growing and has a lot of people who comment regularly on our discussion threads. And we thought, well, we'd like to discuss books together as well. So this year, we are going to have the Best of Both Worlds book club through our Patreon community. We will discuss four titles over the course of the year. And so if you'd like to be part of that, please come join us. We, we're having a great time. And super in the meantime, excited. yeah, well, sorry, what were you going to say, Sarah? I was going to say, I'm super excited. Yeah. I'm super excited for the Patreon book club. It'll be a lot of fun. 
But in the meantime, let's hear from Anne about how we can have a great book club or take an existing book club up a notch. So Sarah and I are delighted to welcome Anne Bogle to the program. Uh, So Anne, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. My home on the web is Modern Mrs. Darcy, where I've been blogging since 2011. And when I'm joking, I say I read books for a living, which is a little bit true, not completely, but I do get to talk about the books and reading I love in Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club, on the What Should I Read Next podcast, on the blog. I have all the outlets to do this is my job. All the outlets to talk about all the books. And how did you wind up in this line of work? I'm sure many people are like, well, I would love to read books for a living. <laughs> where do I apply? Yeah. And tell me where I apply. I have bad news. The real money that actually, you know, does buy the groceries. And I have, I have four teenagers. Laura, you have five kids. You know that that is a big deal. That you don't get that just from sitting in your favorite chair and opening the book. But still, it's fun to it's fun to have to read and hasn't gotten old yet. I was actually working in the legal field when my husband and I had a late night conversation around New Year's where he suggested I start a blog. And I said, well, that's stupid. I don't even read blogs. What are you talking about? But he was a blog reader. And I think he was actually doing some blogging for his job at the time. That was an outlet they were trying. And he persuaded me that that might be a fun kind of creative outlet that I didn't have in my life back then. Laura, I feel like this is a common story. I had four kids. Everything was insanity. I was working and I didn't really have my own thing. And he thought this could be a good one. So I started writing to strangers on the internet. I didn't even tell my mom about it for the first four months. Nobody knew. I mean, I did really take to it. I really enjoyed it. And it wasn't all about books, though, at the beginning. That was kind of a direction you went eventually Mm -hmm. as you got a lot of feedback from your readers. But if I recall, back in the early days of modern Mrs. Darcy, there, there was more in the lifestyle content space. I mean, how did, how did you sort of feel your way into the book specialty? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And even today, my favorite description of what modern Mar- Mrs. Darcy is now is it's a lifestyle blog for nerds. But we do have more book content than I ever imagined we'd have. The advantage of blogging in your basement when nobody knows that it's you and that you're writing is you really get to experiment and see what you enjoy writing and what readers enjoy reading. And I found that my favorite kinds of posts were to, whether I was talking about the book itself or talking about a topic that I was thinking about in my own life, is I'd find that if I use the book as a way in, like a way to start the conversation, hey, I was reading this book and it got me thinking about this thing that's happening right now. I really enjoyed that. I think I really enjoyed that because I have always loved reading. And also, it made the conversation not seem so random. Hey, here is why I'm thinking about this topic right now. Let's talk about it. And so then you pivoted from having this book content to, I would say, being a little bit more focused on it when the podcast launched. Is that sort of when you put your flag on the hill and said, you know, (laughs) this is the book world? That's so funny because I don't think of it as a hard pivot. I thought of it as launching a new project. Yes, we started What Should I Read Next in very early 2016, which means our seventh anniversary is happening basically right now. I just really like the idea of doing a podcast beginning when my friends started podcasting in probably 2012, 2013, 2014, but I didn't know what I'd talk about. And we talked with a couple of networks that said, let's make the modern Mrs. Darcy show. And that just didn't interest me because I was already doing that. But I had this idea for, it was actually a long-running blog series called Literary Matchmaking, where readers would 
tell me three books they loved, one book they didn't, and what they've been reading lately. And I would recommend three titles they should read next. And I've talked a lot about why that is the format, but I thought I thought that would get us to good recommendations for individual readers. So I ran it as a blog series and just didn't really enjoy the written format. I found myself wanting to have a conversation and it took me an embarrassing long amount of time to realize, wait, there's a way you can have those conversations. It's called a podcast. This could be fun. But when we met with networks to actually do the show, they said, why books and reading? Like, can we just call it the Modern Mrs. Darcy show? Because that's already your brand. But I guess I had what's the luxury of being able to try something new because it sounded interesting. And that's what we did. And it is true that books and reading did become a lot more of my world and of my paycheck, like when that started in a very real way. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, you are now the host of the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that part of your your business? Yeah, we actually started that. I mean, 2016 was a big year. We started that in summer of 2016. We have always made a really big deal about our summer reading guide and our summer reading season, which again was my husband's idea like back in 2012. You get really excited about summer reading. Maybe this would be fun for your audience. And so we gave a summer reading guide a try. This is our more private community, private because you get to have the intimate kind of conversations you can have when you know a stranger on the internet can't come dive bomb, co-op the conversation, say nasty things. So this is our community devoted to classes and conversation and that 24-7 literary community where we read books together, we talk about them, we have classes dedicated to their reading life with a community of readers that you really get to know and spend time with and learn to really, I think, trust for good conversations that teach you, of course, more about how to be a good reader, but also you can learn so much about yourself and it benefits your life so much when you can actually read a book in such a way that it opens up your world instead of just being a distraction for a few hours. I love escapist reading. And (laughs) it's always good. And also there is more to be found in the pages of books if we want to find it. Yeah, exactly. And I know a lot of our listeners are looking for more good conversations, looking to learn more get more out of their reading life and are thinking about starting book clubs or are already in book clubs, want to take them up a notch. And so we wanted to have you on the program to provide some guidance on that. Uh, I mean, first backing up a little bit, why are book clubs popular? We all know that you can get together with your friends and drink wine in the absence of books. So what is it about adding books that has elevates the group a little bit? Why are these so popular? Well, I have my theory, and I I already hinted at it when I was talking about how back in the day, I found that talking about something I'd been reading was a good way in. It was my open door to talk about a topic that had been on my mind, that was relevant to my life, that I wanted to discuss. And I think that's so true with books in general. And I think that's part of the magic of book clubs. Like You can get together with your friends. And if they're really good friends, you might say, hey, I'm going to pour my heart and soul out to you and tell you my deepest thoughts and longings and desires and everything that means. And let's explore that together. But if you don't know people very well, or even with good friends, like there has to be a certain mood for that to happen. But a book is an invitation to say, hey, like here's this exploration of love and family and grief and betrayal and longing and redemption. And it's all right there in the pages of the book. So you can talk about those things that really matter really really easily, really effortlessly, really um, in a non-socially awkward way. I think that's the appeal. 
we all want to be a little bit less socially awkward. All right. Well, we'll be right back talking more with Ann Bogle of Modern Mrs. Darcy after this quick break. Well, I am back with Anne talking all things modern Mrs. Darcy and book clubs and how we can have good book clubs or better book clubs if we already have one. So nuts and bolts here, Anne. If I am going to start a book club, what should I do? I mean, like how many people focus, how frequently, like anything that you've seen best practices with here. The good and the bad news is that your options are infinite. And I say that's Good news because you have lots of options, but sometimes people really want a list of instructions to follow, and I can't offer you that. One of the things I get to do in my job is talk to readers, like thousands of readers, all the time about what has worked in their reading life, what hasn't. We actually hosted a class for the first time in Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club ever this fall. It's been one of our popular requested topics over the years, and we finally did it. And that was how to create a great book club experience where we talked about hosting in-person book clubs. And what we did for that event was we gathered four of our team members together and we shared our highs and lows, our book club success stories and the things that had really bombed and why. And it was really fun to hear like just a great variety of experiences and what the possibilities are. I think the thing you need to do if you want to start a book club is you need one friend or soon to be friend who's interested in going on this journey with you. Because to have a book club, you do need more than one person. And once you have that that person, you can decide, do we just want to buddy read books and talk about them together while we're going on a walk? You know, like this is the lap we dedicate to catching up on our lives. And this is the lap we dedicate to talking about our latest reads. You can do that. But once you have that first person, just to think about what you want from the club. Or Laura, you don't even have to go in that order. You can start by thinking what kind of book club you want to have. Like a book club just popped up in my neighborhood. And like you said, neighbors who don't know each other are seeking to get to know each other better and have a reason to gather. And they're going to find their readers and then they're going to decide what they want their book club to look like. Sometimes it starts from the other direction. Somebody says, you know what? I want to read more literary fiction or I want to read more romance because my life is really heavy right now or I want to read more history. But your options are infinite. But I think what you want to think about first is either who you want to spend more time with or what kind of reading experience you're looking to gain. Is there a point where it gets unwieldy though? Like, I mean, if I'm having an in-person, they have to fit in my living room. I mean, that's sort of a limiting factor maybe? It can be. I've seen some book clubs split in half and then that can be a little awkward where everybody decides who goes where. And also I've seen some book clubs fizzle when people couldn't decide how to split. So it's true. But you don't even have a book club yet. So I think it is jumping the gun a little bit to worry about what might happen next. There are some book clubs that are, I'm really impressed by this, Laura, because you know that you are a very methodical personality type and I am more freewheeling. But I have friends in book clubs where there are a certain number of seats. There's a waiting list if you want to get in. There's a committee that decides what everybody will read. And there's a set list of questions that does not change from book to book. The same questions every time. I mean, there are book clubs like this. But most people are going to say, hey, do I have any friends that like to read or could be talked into it if they want to go out one Thursday a month? Let's get together and make a plan. Yeah. And is that one Thursday a month kind of rhythm a a wise one? I mean, have you seen that as being the most frequent, like once a month? Or I mean, is there another good rhythm? 
It depends on the setting. I know that there are a lot of, or at least I've talked to a lot of readers who are in workplace book clubs that happen weekly. Like Thursday is the day where we get together and we talk about our business book in the cafeteria. For people who are doing it socially, sometimes it often depends on the stage of life. Monthly is the most common I talk to, but quarterly does happen if people find they're too busy in general to make that feel feasible. And what about folks who are in sort of middling book clubs? Like maybe you've got a a book club that's okay. Yeah. Is there anything you've seen that helps people maybe take it up a notch? That can be tricky, especially depending on whether or not they are the person in charge. Also, again, the good and the bad news is that book clubs, in my observation, do seem to run better when there is someone who can kind of take the helm, who can remind everyone, hey, this is our purpose, and who can say, what was the question again? Because suddenly we're talking about our kids' soccer practices. I think it's really important to make sure everybody knows why they're meeting together. Like, what is the purpose of this particular book club? Because that really helps you decide how you choose books, what topics are fair game, how late you're going to stay. Like, are you coming to learn more about literature? Are you coming to form deeper connections with friends? Some people start meeting in a book club and that purpose is never stated. And the different book club participants may have different ideas about why they're coming together in the first place. So interrupting in the middle can be tricky, but if your book club has ideally from the outset a purpose. It will make it so much easier to keep it feeling beneficial and enjoyable to everybody involved. And you mentioned that some of your team members had discussed the things that had gone really well. And so Mm -hmm. you'd seen that there's a variety of experience. Also that things had bombed. I'm wondering (laughs) if you could share some sort of examples of book club bombing. I'm I'm very curious how how that happens. Well, I'll borrow an example that we shared on a recent What Should I Read Next episode. So this guest knew that like 100,000 people are going to listen to her story. So I think I'm okay to share it with you. But she said she'd basically been kicked out of book club for being too intense. So I said, I think it was, I think it was Jada Graff. I said, oh, you have to tell me about what happened. And she's a big reader who gets, I mean, she either was an English major or is an English major at heart. That's what I am. I'm an English major at heart, actually an education major. But she came to book club and she used the words theme and structure in back-to-back contributions. And she was stopped by these lovely people that she didn't know super, they weren't like great friends, but she knew them socially. And they said, this is not that kind of book club. We don't want to talk about theme. We don't want you to use your words from your school days. Like you got to chill or you got to leave. And she found another book club where she's very happy, Laura. That's good. A book club where you can argue from the text and (laughs) support your examples in your text-dependent analysis. All some readers want is like, I mean, we joke in our Modern Mrs. Darcy book club that we have a strong contingent of readers who get so excited about homework. They want homework. They want worksheets. They want to argue from the text. And then we have plenty of readers who are a lot more casual. But it's important for everybody to know, like, what kind of book club are we? is it welcome here to like ask people to flip to page 168 and evaluate the syntax? I think that really matters. It's good to know those things. Yes. You don't want to get kicked out of book club. No, I I would not want to get kicked out of book club. (laughs) She took pains to say that it was about book club. They are all still friends. Well, that's good. Yeah. I'm glad they were able to, to move past their um, differing approaches to studying literature. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So (laughs) choosing books Mm -hmm. to read, 
Sarah and I are doing a best of both worlds book club over the course of this coming year with our Patreon community. And we've been trying to figure out, you know, what makes a good book club book. So what does Miss Modernist Darcy have to say about a good book club selection? Oh, I have thoughts because it's not the same thing as something that might be an enjoyable read just for you on your own. In Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club, like we have our purpose and our two guiding lights are we want discoverability for our readers who love to find new books that they might not have come across otherwise and discussability. I think that discoverability, that might not be important to your book club, but I do think discussability is crucial. You don't want a book where everybody says, I liked it. And just there, there's nothing to talk about. You want a book that you can really dig into. So this often looks like controversial books with quirky characters and strange endings. It can look like books where the book club members feel a lot of relatability to the characters. It can be a novel that's really ambitious, where the author is doing things that are unusual. And so you can evaluate, like, why did the author make those choices? And did they actually work? A special category of book I always look at for book club is a book with a an ambiguous ending that that really gives you something to talk about. Like, what do you think really happened? Did you like it? What were they doing there? Wait, are you sure that's what happened? Because I thought that what the author was trying to say, like the kinds of things that really give you something to talk about are great selections because that's what you want. You want a good conversation. Can you give an example or two of some of the best book club discussion books you've seen lately? Ooh, the best I've seen lately. Superlatives are so hard, but I will say that I'm an Amor Tolls fan. I loved Rules of Civility. I think that's my favorite. But his new book, The Lincoln Highway, my experience reading it was, I loved it for 600 pages. And I hated the last three. Really, really strongly hated the last three. That's something to talk about in book club. To go back a ways with a different genre, Into the Woods by Tana French is a, I'm trying to think how much do I want to say and what counts as a story. That book has now been out well over 10 years and readers are still debating what happened at the end of the story or perhaps what didn't happen at the end of the story. A book that makes you mad is often a good book club selection. Books that readers really do not enjoy reading can be redeemed to a certain extent when you bring them to book club because you can have so much fun talking about a book that disappointed you, that you feel like misled you, manipulated you. Like It can almost be worth reading the story because the conversation is so good. It's good when you can redeem something a little bit, the time you put into it with Mm -hmm. a little bit. Uh, Yeah. I wonder if you have any sort of discussion questions that, you know, obviously people will be like, well, what did you like about the book? Or what did you not mm-hmm. like about the book? I, what, what are some questions that might help get a discussion going? Oh, that's a good question. In my, my reading life book journal, there's actually a spread that has 10 questions that work for any book club discussion that I refer to all the time. And I do not have memorized, but I know just some really personal questions can be good ones that usually I use at the end of the conversation, not a beginning, but like, what scene lingers with you? What character did you especially relate to? Like, what moment stuck with you? Or what was there anything about the book that just like didn't strike you as realistic or accurate? That, that can be something interesting to talk about. What does the title mean can be an interesting one. And then, of course, just talking about common themes. Like, what do you think this story had to say about forgiveness or love or what it really means to be a family or 
can you come back from a choice like like that character made? Why did that character make that choice? I think as people were fascinated by why we do the things we do, and instead of having like a really juicy real life gossip session, you can have kind of the same thing with a novel, and that can be really fun in a book club setting. That's cool. And I'm I'm kind of curious, like what makes a book club end? I mean, I guess you could totally part ways over whether you wish to discuss the syntax on page 160 or if you're not that kind of book club. <laughs> but I imagine it's often more of a, you know, not a bang, but a whimper at the mm-hmm. at the end of, of a book club life. What tends to be the thing that leads to it falling apart? So we can try to think about how if we do wish to keep it going, mm-hmm. how we might avoid that. I think in stories I've heard from readers, it's a lack of direction from it being either unclear who's responsible for pulling everybody together or for nobody truly being responsible. You know what I keep thinking of through this whole conversation is Priya Parker's book, The Art of Gathering, where she's very explicit about saying like, meetings need a purpose. Meetings need a leader. Meetings need someone to set the tone. Meetings need expectations to be clear. and if those things are not present in gatherings, then those gatherings aren't as satisfying as they could be, or they don't happen in the first place. And that's just as true for our casual book club gatherings as it is for the big kinds of things that we more often think of as like events. But book club is an event and it takes an interested person to make it happen. But do you think it's worth doing? I mean, if if we have listeners here who are like, you know, thinking about it, I mean, would you recommend trying to start a book club? For best of both worlds, for readers out there. You know my answer oh, is going to be yes, yeah, no matter me, what. But me. We're, we're already committed to doing it. <laughs> but uh, our listeners like just want to you know, start one with friends or neighbors or colleagues. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think especially now, I try not to get too reactive from the news, but we know that we're spending more time alone. We're spending less time with friends. These have been a hard couple of years. Why not put something in your life? I mean, Laura, this is such a tranquility by Tuesday strategy. Like, Why not make a decision once and put something in your life that brings you into contact with others in meaningful conversations with others and also prod you to enjoy something that you probably know you like if you're interested in the book club at all, and that is reading. This feels like a big win-win all the ways. Absolutely. It does sound like a win. Well, Anne, we always end with a love of the week. So something that is going good for us right now. I'll go ahead and start, uh, you know, something book related. I, I've i said this a million times, but the Kindle app, I know people have whatever with Amazon, but the Kindle app is really great. Like you, you, the fact that you can read eBooks on your phone instantly is just amazing. And even more so that you can get them from Libby, the library app, and go directly into Kindle. And not even just books. Sometimes I find myself like I would be scrolling around online. And so I was like, well, let me just go over to Libby and see what's there. And sometimes just wind up reading like magazines online that there's a bunch formatted for Kindle uh, that you could just read them, look at the pictures, quick story or whatever. And it just feels like a little bit better than scrolling around randomly on Twitter. Maybe not a mm-hmm. ton better, but slightly better. And, and sometimes that's that's all we really need. So how about you, Anne? What's, what's good for you this week? Oh, I was going to say lentil soups. We have two new lentil soup recipes we really love that we've made a lot. I mean, you know, it's a winner when your college kid is coming home from school and you're telling your other kids, we can't make that yet. Like Jack has to try it. But I feel like that maybe sends the wrong, like super healthy image. (laughs) I try to fuel my body well, but 
So I feel like I should also add that bringing me joy is the, is it fun size or just like jumbo size? I have an enormous bag of peppermint patties in my desk drawer. I don't usually buy myself candy, but it's the holidays and they have these big bags of Yorks that I love so much. So just a couple of times a week, I think like, you know what I'm in the mood for? Peppermint patty because they're my favorite, Laura. And then I remember that I bought myself some at Target and they're in my drawer waiting for me and it makes me so happy. And it makes my it's kids- like celebration. <laughs> it makes my kids happy because I feel bad not sharing. So I was like, does anybody want one of these? And they're like, oh my gosh, who are you? What did you do with our mother? Yes. Yes, I do. Awesome. Awesome. Well, peppermint patties and, and lentils stew is a totally different, <laughs> different culinary experiences, but probably good all around. So Anne, tell our listeners where they can find you if they would like to learn more about your work. My hub online is modernmrsdarcy.com. And you can listen to our podcast, What Should I Read Next, wherever you're listening to Best of Both Worlds. Excellent. And I'd add Anne also has some wonderful books as well that Don't Overthink It is the most recent one. Is that right? It is. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And she also um, has a book of essays called I'd Rather Be Reading, which you should check out as well. Well, Anne, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, that was awesome. I always love talking to Anne. She has so many great ideas and her command of all the books in the universe is, is pretty overwhelmingly amazing. So if you haven't already, please check out What Should I Read Next, the podcast and you know, Modern Mrs. Darcy online. So Sarah, you want to read our question for the week? Yes. So this comes from one of our listeners and she writes, I'm working on my personal goals for 2023, but the caveat for my goals is that we might have a baby in the next year. And if my timing works out, I'd be pregnant for most of 2023. With that in mind, I feel like I'm making two sets of goals, one for pregnancy and one for not. For example, run a 10K is on my list for no baby, but do pregnancy yoga is on the baby list. And how do I make career goals? Am I being too analytical looking at a one-year timeline? Be social with colleagues and go to pubs versus don't vomit in my open plan office are similar but different goals here. How do you treat goals and plans when you're looking at years with probable babies? I know a baby might not happen this year, but I'm struggling to get both excited for pushing my fitness and professional life forward versus pushing my family life forward. Not in the big picture of work versus family, but in the little picture of actually being pregnant can be hard for a few months, and so is having a newborn, and a year is only made up of 12 months. All true statements. (laughs) I don't know. I guess it sounds like she's making a good stab at it already that she has two lists of goals. I mean, one is life not pregnant. The other is life if she does, in fact, get pregnant this year. I would say that, you know, the since she is has already had a baby writing this in, it sounds like the odds are pretty good that if they're trying for the course of the year, it probably will happen in the course of the year. But of course, nothing is ever guaranteed. So yeah, making two sets of goals could be awesome. Or you could also just make a goals list and understand that you'll modify some of them if they don't work out, but they they might still. I mean, there's no reason you couldn't have a big professional goal, even if you know you got pregnant tomorrow and we're going to be out for the last three months of the year on maternity leave or something like that. That doesn't mean you couldn't achieve it. So I, I, I think you, you want to be careful that you're not stopping yourself from going for things that you want to go for, even if there is a potential pregnancy involved. We never know how life is going to go anyway. I mean, I know we set tons of goals for 2020 that then the pandemic totally 
undermined. It doesn't mean that you can't set goals or that it's a pointless exercise or anything like that. I mean, we can never consider all the contingencies. So I'd say go ahead, figure out what you want life to look like. If a baby happens this year as a big goal, what are some other things you'd like to do or things you might possibly want to change and just sort of be accepting of that? Yeah. Or maybe do some sort of like gentle color coding of your list. Like, you know, the ones that are have highlighted in light green are ones that I will maybe table if pregnancy is going to become an issue. I will say I found the post-baby years, like the year my baby is zero to 12 months, to be a little bit more disruptive of my life than the pregnancy years. Now, that's me. Everybody is different. I didn't have particularly horrible pregnancies. I mean, the first trimester kind of sucked. But after that, I could run that 10K or, you know, do whatever I, I needed to do. And it was actually the the first baby year when I wasn't getting much sleep that I felt like I really had to just be easy on myself. But I think going ahead and making the goals, knowing that you don't know the timeline of when the baby's going to happen, and so many things might be applicable anyway, or maybe you can also just be gentle with the time frame. So maybe they don't have to be goals for the year, but goals for the year or next couple of years if it feels like next year's, you know, going to be a really busy one or if you end up with a really tough pregnancy. Yeah, exactly. Although I've had the experience in my life of, you know, set really ambitious running goals on like for January and then the pregnancy test was positive on like January 10th. (laughs) It was just, you know, these things happen. And that's actually an interesting phenomenon, uh, you know, when you are in the active baby making years of like what your time frame is for long term goals and your willingness to sort of commit to that. You know, there's there's an interesting thing to explore with that. And I know. I was always thinking about, you know, like when books were coming out or like committing to speeches that were more than a few months ahead of time, you know, what would be the timing with that? Uh, So, yeah, it's something that does change how you might actually think about life, especially if you wind up having five children. (laughs) So it's not a one-off experience. One-off experience. It's a five-off experience. five-off experience, exactly. All right. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds. I interviewed Anne Bogle, known online as Modern Mrs. Darcy, about how to have the most excellent book club ever. We will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. 
People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy, yeah. right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to Brand New on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.